You're great. I'm great. We're on Free Range American. This is your first time doing Free Range American. It is. But, you know, I'm, I think a lot of our audience will recognize who you are. And if you don't recognize who I am, you'd recognize that voice, wouldn't you? Give, give, give him the voice for those of them listening through their radios right now. Yeah! Come on, what do you got? That's one. I heard somebody say Jack Nicholson. I don't, know, I don't know that I have uh, actual like joking around voices. Oh uh, yeah, that's true. Okay. I, have, I can do I can do like Master Chief. Do 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 just a quick sing. See if see if someone can guess you from just that. Uh, what if I was nothing? What if this is true? Mm, mm, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I think maybe. it's there. Uh, for those that can't guess with the voice, this is Mr. Phil Labonte from All That Remains. Hi, guys. How are so we? So many. Yeah, you hear the comments comes. Yeah. I love All That Remains. I've killed people to All That Remains. Yeah. Do, you, do you like that? I, like I, you that? know, I like that All That Remains means something to people. Yeah. So I like the comments when people are like, oh, you know, that song, What If I Was Nothing, that song, I, I sang it to my wife and blah, 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 blah. We got back together. I got laid. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, got, like, me, you, you got me so much you know, so much pussy and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I also like the song. I like, the, I like when people are like, oh, you know, I used to play six on Guitar Hero 2 when I was, you know, nine years old. And that is pretty cool. Blah, blah, blah. I love that. And, and I get tons of dudes that were in the service that are like, yo, we used to listen to all the remains, you know, every time we get ready to go outside the wire, blah, blah, blah. You know, so anytime someone tells me that the stuff that we wrote means something to them, that's killer because- That's pretty cool. I love what I do, obviously. I mean, it's it's awesome to be able to be a but musician and stuff. But let's rewind. Like, okay, did you just wake up one day in 1998 and say, I want to sing? No, no. Um, How did this happen? At 14 years old, I was given a guitar. Got it. And uh, that was my, my first introduction to being a musician. I used to sing, uh, like, badly sing... Iron Maiden songs in my uh, in my room, and my neighbors hated it because I would scream at the top of my lungs, you know, just singing along with Bruce Dickinson. Um, so that was like how I kind of first got into music, you know, singing in my room and playing guitar. And then, you know, I, I learned a little bit and started playing with the death metal band that uh, that was from my area. And the first time I saw them, they were kids that I went to school with. And they were on stage at this bar called Katina's at the time. And I was like, I want to do that. And, and I was 16 years old. And it's like, these dudes that were literally, like, they were younger than me. They were, they were a grade younger than me. And they were, I was like, if they can do that, I want to do that. And so I busted my hump and practiced a lot. And I managed to actually get in that band. And so my first show- What was that called? Perpetual Doom. Oh, wow. You were, you were in a band that had the word doom in it. Yeah. Very, very 90s death metal <laughs> band. It was, uh, we were inspired by bands like Grave and Entombed and uh, Cannibal Corpse. Some. Oh, Cannibal Corpse. Yeah. You know, like a lot of Swedish death metal. Because um, there's two things we have to unpack here. Number, number one is, okay, what led you in the beginning of All That Remains? And then two, you guys kind of, really broke out a genre yeah. and I want to get into that, but let's, let's, so, so you're in a death metal band at yep. 16 years old yeah. called perpetual doom. Perpetual doom. And, and 
we were trying to be as as doomy as you could be. So it was all slow, mostly slow stuff, uh, really heavy. And then they heard this band called Corn, and they were like, we want to do that. And I was like, fuck all that noise. I still want to play death metal, so I quit. Um, so you're talking like just low chugs. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's not even notes. It's just, you know, yeah. it's just one one chug through the whole thing. Yeah, tuned <laughs> down to Q, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, this guitar, it's tuned into Q. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and nowadays it's like, that's kind of the normal thing, you know, especially since bands like Corn and, and stuff started, you know, started playing seven strings and making that kind of a normal thing. Nowadays, you got bands that, that are playing on eight strings with all bass strings on the on the guitar, and they're you know just going as low as they possibly can, tuned down to literally tuned down to A flat and stuff. And it's oh getting God. it's getting crazy out there. Um, so you know, I so I, you left I, perpetual I left doom. I left them and I started singing for a band called Shadows Fall. Um, sang for them for a couple of years. But I was doing just singing and I wanted to do, um, I wanted to play guitar again. So I started writing riffs and that was what turned into All the Remains. They asked me to leave in 98, the like November of 98 or something like that. And I had all these riffs started for another band thinking that I was just going to play guitar in the band. And I was like, well, I'm probably not good enough to play guitar and sing. So I figured it's probably a good idea to get other players and took about a year to put together the full band. So how did you do that back then? Like pull tabs on flyers and stuff around town? One guy, well, I knew a lot of dudes from who I played in, you know, multiple bands. So I knew a lot of band, a lot of dudes from bands and stuff. So it was fairly easy to put together a, a band. The hardest, the hardest position uh, it, that it was to fill was uh, Ollie Herbert. The, the last guy that joined the band to make us a five piece was Ollie. Um, he joined in 1999 and, uh, and that was where'd you find him? Mike Martin, our current guitar player, came to try out, and Mike had kind of taken time off playing guitar, so he wasn't quite good enough yeah. to be in the band. He's like, "You got to talk to my guitar teacher." And I was like, "Okay, cool." So he gave me Ollie's number, and I called up Ollie, and Ollie came in, and Ollie was nasty, and sort of like, well, "That's the guy," you know. So <laughs> yeah, right. Fun. Like, and then do two you have years footage from any of this? Uh, Is there anything of Ollie coming in? Like, I could you imagine what it would be like nowadays to, to, to see, see the video of Ollie I, I coming in to try out? You know, but this for, is this is twenty years ago. No, I, it was it was a good ten years before the iPhone, unfortunately. Um, so no, I don't I don't have any footage. There's I could I could tell you some stories about about Ollie from the early days because he was a really awkward. Kind of dude. Yeah. What is it? What is this audition like? Is it you and everybody else, or is it just you? It's me and Dan Egan, who was our bass player at the time, still a, a great friend of mine. Um, and Ollie comes over, and Ollie had this big BC Rich bitch. I think is what it was. It was not the Warlock. It was it was this weird shape, and it had like a like it was like a, a pizza maker on on the side, with just all these buttons and knobs and stuff. And he had it jacked up to here playing, you know, solos like this. And uh, and he's just shredding. And, and we were like, all right, that guy can really play. And so I was like, you know, hey, do you mind stepping outside onto, onto my porch while me and Dan talk? And he's like, yeah, cool. So he goes outside and uh, Dan's like, that's the dude. I'm like, well, you Did know- Did he have long hair? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. man. He was, he was every bit the- the metal dude that you might think that he was like yeah. hair down to here. And he was into like a lot of the proggy stuff. But he's so, very soft-spoken, very soft-spoken, but he knows everything knows when it comes to 
Music I mean, theory. He had, he had, he would, he had completed his master's degree. So he had a master's degree in music theory and composition. He, he was classically trained, like new guitar in and out, new theory in and out, played a little piano, played, I think he played like seven or eight different instruments. Um, and he, he goes out on the porch and Dan's like, that's the guy. And I'm like, he's really, really, really good. Do you think he's going to fit in with us? And, and I had this long hallway. This was at my, this was before my dad passed away at my parents' house. There's this long hallway that went from the living room into the kitchen and you had the deck out back. It was a sliding glass door. And we both kind of did like, I don't remember exactly what it was like, but you know, you, where you both look around and like, and you look out on the porch and there's Ollie doing like literal Tai Chi movements. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, and Dan's like, that's the guy. I'm like, I guess so, <laughs> man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so you know he was he was he was the guy you know and then he became you know an integral part of all that remains up until he passed away in 2018 you know? nice. so. I, I mean i remember specifically a really cool this was a story i told for a long time because this is in our early years you guys were some of the first big names we'd ever met yeah. you know because because you guys were obviously all very much in tune with the military and gun sure. crowd so yeah. when we popped you were, you guys were some of the first people to reach out. Um, we were all drinking at my house in El Paso, and you and Ollie got into the the perfect pitch. You know, the, the, <laughs> Ollie was explaining the theory of how it's near impossible for someone to pull a, a tone out of thin air. I still feel like and, I got lucky, but and 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 you, it took like twenty minutes, and you give it to him, and he hits the piano, and he's like. Holy shit, you did it. Because he just gave you a letter. He goes, yeah. I want an A. Yeah. You need to give me an A. And you you get no reference. Yeah. You can't you can't play anything. You can't hit a guitar. You can't nothing. You're gonna give me an A from nowhere. I feel and like you were like, like you were like like circling around and you were singing a you, you know, you were you were singing pernicious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you were you were like finding you knew which part of pernicious was was yeah. an A, and then you locked in on that. You were like, "All right, I'm ready." And he's sitting at the piano, and I remember how surprised he was. He was like, "There's no fucking way you just did that." Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, Ollie, Ollie, and I had been in, at that time. Ollie had been, you know, we'd been in a band for ten years, or I mean, fifteen years and yeah. stuff, and so he was pretty familiar with what I could do. And I, I feel like it was luck. I, I really do feel like it was luck. But, <laughs> but I, he, I, he did accept it though. Yeah. He's like, well, okay. They've yeah. said this is impossible. We were just proved wrong. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Yeah, uh, I mean, like I said, I, you know, I mean, I, I'm really, really fortunate to have spent as much time in a band with, with a guy like Ollie as I did. Uh, and, and I mean, not a day goes by that I don't miss him, you know, um, he was an integral part of all that remains. And, you know, we're fortunate to have gotten Jason Richardson, who is an absolute monster on guitar. Uh, there's, there's no way that I could, could say that, you know, Ollie or Richardson are better than each other. They, they have a different style and, and approach guitar differently, but uh, Richardson's absolutely awesome. But, you know, 20 years in a, in a band with a guy, you know, yeah. it's... Uh, you speak each other's language. Yeah. So, 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 so walk us through. So do you guys bring Ollie in and tell him right then? Or was it a, we need to think about this? Like, how does this go? So, so we're like, all right, well, you know, come to practice. And he's like, okay. And then he came, we were like, okay, we're practicing again next week. You know, these are the days. Okay. Okay. And then it was like, uh, we got a show coming up. Uh, okay. 
And we just never told him that he was in the band. <laughs> they were just like, just yeah, just, just come, come to practice. Just come to practice. Yeah, hey, we got a show. Yeah, and then he and then he was just kind of like, so, uh, um, you you never really said, uh, did 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 I get did I get the job? And I'm like, well, you've been coming to practice, and we had, we just played a show. Yeah, dude, you're like you're in the band. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> did you name it right away? I had all the remains. I I did a. I think it was a Yahoo search. I don't remember what the big search engine was, but I came up with the name and I was like, all right, let's see if there's another band out there that's got this name. And I, I did a search on, you know, the PC back in, again, <laughs> you know, it starts smoking when, you, when you're, you're, yeah. you're running it. And, uh, and it was just, you know, no one had it. And I was like, that's cool. All right, so let's go with that. And it wasn't something that, it wasn't something that we had, we'd put a lot of thought into. It was just like, that sounds cool. No one else has it. Cause you know, Slayer and Carnivore and, and all the really cool single names. Carnivore. It's a great name, right? Yeah. Rancid. Yes. All the, all the cool one word names. Those were all taken by like this Saturday. That's not a bad name. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, actually was kind of impressed with it because Shane, you know, I, I, I joined late. Those guys had already put yeah. out two albums, mm -hmm. but they were my friends. And, but at first, it didn't ring. I'm like, I don't, this Saturday. Oh, that's a band name. Okay, okay. Like, like I'm like, it's, what am I searching? But then it's like, oh, okay. I'm yeah. done with that. <laughs> yeah, it's, and that, that's catchy and that's cool. Like, it's, it's, it's because you know, memorable. Like, you in know? the 2010 timeframe, between like 10 and 15 was the kind of rush of social media bands. Yep. And that's when the three, three word band names just went like this. It's like yeah. running out of toilet paper. <laughs> we butter our bread with butter. That's a German band there, and that's real. We butter our bread with butter is a name. We is butter a, our bread is a, with is a, butter. Is a, is a name of band. I wrestled a bear once is another band that's got a weird name. Uh, but you know, it's like. I kind of like I wrestled a bear it's, once. It's a little long though. Yeah. I would say bear wrestler. That's not bad. I mean, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> bear tooth makes me think of bear tooth. Yeah, yeah, you know. But like, but again, it's like all the all the really cool metal names that were like single word or maybe two words. They were they were gobbled up in the in the you know eighties and nineties. You know, so it was like the fact that no one had all the remains. I'm like, snatch that up. You know. Yeah. So brazen bull. That's a that's a good one that was never made it into a band. Brazen bull. You know what a brazen bull is. No, it's a giant bronze bull, like a like a okay, uh, so like cow. the one, like the one on Wall Street. Well, they used to put people in it and uh, burn them. Oh, yeah. So it was a it was a Greek, I believe it was a Greek uh, form of torture. Just um, you would get in the big iron bowl, and then they would light a fire beneath it. Under. So it's like there's no water or nothing. So it just it would dehydrate you, and yeah. then your skin would start sticking and burning. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's horrible. It's got brazen be, bull, but Iron Maiden brazen bull. It's got to be rough. It. Good band name, though. That is a good name. Uh, so that first show with you yeah. and Ollie. Jamie Josta booked that. Yeah. From Jamie Josta from Hatebreed. He'd been, he'd been, I mean, he's been in the, the scene since he was 14 or 15. And I think he was booking shows when he was like a, a young teenager. And uh, it was, I want to say it was at the Sports Palace in Connecticut. I forget the town. But that first show, uh, it was okay, except our drummer blew a song. Really? You know, and and drummers can't just do that. Just got off. Just forgot the next part, you know? And that's kind of frustrating because All That Remains has never had really, really long, complex songs. Like sometimes some of our bridges will have some interesting parts in it and stuff like that. For for the most part, it's fairly, you know, our, our song structures are fairly like, you know, 
intro verse chorus or intro verse pre-chorus chorus. Yeah. So if you can't handle that, I was I was this close to firing him <laughs> that day. But uh, drummers <laughs> so are hard first to come show first blows show. blows blows a song. Blows How a many song. songs are you playing? I think we had uh, we probably had five or six. So we were doing like it wasn't many, not many, twenty five yeah. minutes set or something like that, real short. And uh, so then the next night we played in our at our what was our hometown basically did Springfield. You, did you have some feedback sessions with the drummer after that though? Uh, he he was good at beating himself up. So all I had to do was kind of just give him dirty looks. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and he was just he just he you know he. And there's nothing that I could have said that would have made him feel worse than he already felt because he was one of those dudes that- Come on, you're knocking ah! the dust off. It's the first one. Well, yeah, I mean- It, it could have been worse. You could have forgot the words. But even then, it's your own song. You could I have just sang whatever the one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you could scream. Oh, yeah, right. that was just mush mouth it. I could just yeah. make make believe, you know? Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was- We got through it. And then the next night was better. And, you know, we started doing as many shows as we could. Yeah, so what happens after that? Like, it was just after that second one, you guys kind of all figured it out. Yeah. And then it was just line, 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 yeah, line. Yeah, we, we did. And we played as much as we could and got as many shows under our belt as we could. Um, we recorded our first full-length record, uh, which is called Behind Silence and Solitude. We recorded that in 2000, uh, in January of 2000, January and February. Um and then we sat on it for a little while. We how, did you, how did you guys finance that? We self-financed it. Our, okay. uh, our bass player, Dan Egan, had, a, had had a job since he was a teenager. And he, he, was, a, he was a machinist. And he had been like doing the, uh, like half, his, half of his day would be going to work. I forget what, what it was called. Um, he'd get out of school because he went to yeah. vocational. And yeah. so part of his day would, would be go to work and he'd get paid for it. And so he'd been there for like... 10 years by the time he was 26, you know, or something like that. So he was making at 26 years old, single, you know, not as married a machinist. as a machinist. He was making boatloads of money at the time. So he's like, yeah, dude, I'll just, I'll just pay for it. And you guys can pay me back. And so we put it, we, we recorded it. And then how much was that? It's like $3,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. Give yeah, us still, that was great back then. Like, yeah, but th I mean, it's a big risk too. Yeah. It's like, you're coming around, everybody's sitting around there because this is, this is, this is that pinnacle point in a band where is, are we taking this seriously? Yes. Are yeah. we a business? That's yes. a big, that's the biggest mistake I see with bands is yep. they don't understand like you're either a hobbyist or you're a business. Yeah. And that really start, that really, you see that or that point is really driven home the first time you go on a real tour. So we hadn't done like a full leave for a month tour. We didn't do that until 2002. Our, the, the, we recorded the record and we shopped it around and we got some, we prosthetic records decided they were going to put it out. And so we, we released it in, in March of 2002 and we went on our first tour. So you guys are dumping CDs into envelopes yep. and every week just mailing it, mailing sending it, it to people, mailing it, sending it to it. people that we know again, because, because of we had a manager named Scott Lee, who's still a friend of mine, and he did the New England and Metal and Hardcore Fest for a long time. So he had a bunch of connections. So it was, we gave stuff to him and he would send it out to people in the industry and stuff. And thankfully, I'm super grateful grateful for all the help that he gave us and, and working with him in the beginning. Um, but he put us in contact with the guys at Prosthetic and they were like, okay, we'll put it out. So we, yeah, what was that phone call? Like, did was, you did you get it to him and then you waited and they're like, oh, they're thinking about it. Or did you do the, hey- yeah, the, it was it was sent to them, and EJ just hit up EJ from Prosthetic just hit up Scott and was like, "We want to do it." 
you know, it was already self-financed. And so we're like, holy shit, this is actually going to happen. Like people are actually digging. This is cool. So the records, you know, all production, we go through all the stuff to get the, the, the cover and layout and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we plan our first tour and it was supporting the crown who had uh, Thomas Lindbergh, who was in At The Gates and Darkest Hour was on the tour. And I'm trying to remember who else. I forget the other band. There was one other band. But we went and we did the tour for a month. But like I said, that's when you have to decide if you really want to be in a band because you have to quit your job or at least take a big long leave or whatever. And your vacation go gets vacation time gets eaten up really, really fast and stuff. So we go on our first tour and we come back. We we hated being in the band with one of our guitar players, not Ollie. Uh, and Dan Egan, the guy that had a real job is like, we got home and he's like, I, I can't do this. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do this? He's like, I got a job and I'm blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, you know? And so, and then our drummer broke his arm a couple weeks later. So we had stuff that we were planning on doing, but like our drummer breaks his arm, our bass player quit and we kicked out our other guitar player. <laughs> so now it's, so it's almost back to stay, stay, yeah. Ollie. Yeah. And who else? Mike. Mike Martin joined and, uh, <laughs> and, and our drummer, uh, Mike Bartlett. And so we had to find a bass player and we, it took another, I mean, it took two years of futzing around to try and write another record and get people in the band and, and make sure people are going to stick around. And, uh, you know, it set us back considerably. You know, you can't, you put out a record and then you can't promote it. You can't do anything with it because you can't, you don't have a band. Um, so it took us a little time to get our, to kind of get our band back together. And even when we did, we had, we put Dark and This Dark and Heart, which came out in 2004, even releasing that, it was like we were starting over and it was still hard to keep people in the band. Matt Dice was our bass player. He quit and he joined CKY. Like right no before- No kidding. Yeah, we were supposed to go on the Sounds of the Underground tour and he quit right before that Is he tour. still in CKY? No, he, uh. unfortunately for him, he he kind of misunderstood. He was never actually in CKY. <laughs> he was their bass player. And I was like, <laughs> you, were, you were in fucking All the Remains. I don't know why you're leaving to go play bass for another band. But <laughs> in his defense, CKY was like his favorite band. Yeah. So he got the chance to play for them. He was hoping to join the band, but they were kind of like, well, you can play on tour. But even still, he was like, I just want to play with these guys. I love this band. So no hard feelings to him. I, I, he's a great dude. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, when you're starting out and you want to go on tour and you're not making any money, it's hard to get people to stick around. It's, yeah. You know, um, once we started to get- Yeah, paid, because you're putting, well, you're putting people's entire careers on pause. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you look at like someone like the starting line. Yeah. You know, they got a, they got a record pulled out from underneath them right as they're rounding 2014 mm -hmm. where they were promised a big deal and then ownership changed and they're like, nope, we're cutting you guys. Yep. And you have kids that since they were 17 have never held a job and been not, done nothing but MTV and spring break and, yeah. and tours and, and everything like that. And now they're all 31, 32 years old with no resume or yeah. work experience. Yeah. So it's, it's like, that's a gamble. It's a real gamble. And they lost that gamble. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's rough. And the same thing happened to, so the band that, that I was in Perpetual Doom, they, they came up with another name uh, that was more new metal-y and, and they were called Split Shift and they had a bunch of stuff set up. They went to LA, spent like half a million dollars on a record in the early part, part of 2000. And like six months before the record was supposed to come out, the 
their contact at the label that really believed in them and really dug them passed away. Oh man. And then there was no one at the label that gave a crap. <laughs> so they were just kind of like, well, you know, there was, they were kind of bounced around from A&R guy to A&R guy and, and product manager to product manager. And they, you know, got screwed on, unfortunately. And it's all because the dude that did love them just, yeah. Didn't show up again one day. Yeah. Unfortunately. That's you know. crazy. And that happens, you know, I mean, you never can tell what's going to what's going to happen, you know, in your, in so your then, business. Yeah. When did you get, when did you get the roster and you freaking put lock on it? We kind of, we got things together when, when we did the, uh, the, the, uh, the, or, uh, no, the fall of ideals record. So that was, we got Shannon, uh, Lucas to play drums. Uh, we were, we wanted someone that could really play fast double bass and stuff. And, and our other drummer, Mike Bartlett, he, he couldn't quite keep up with what we wanted to do. So Shannon became available and we were like, that guy can really shred drums. So we got him in the band and that really solidified like what we wanted to do. We had got Jeannie in the band. She was like super easy to deal with. She was into playing and, and she knew the stuff. So that was the, the lineup that, we were like, okay, this is cool. And then we did the fall of ideals and had a ton of success. Um, and Shannon kind of wanted to play more extreme stuff. So he was like, ah, see ya. And then when we got Jason Costa, uh, maybe a year after the fall of ideals came out in 2007, that was like the solid lineup. Oh. Hey, sit down. We interrupt this program with a dog wanting to speak. <laughs> She's lost a call at you. Stop. Why? She, she has, the, there's something that she, she there's, there's this magic ability, ability that she has that like when I'm doing stuff on my, at home on my stream, yeah, she'll start complaining and, and be like, hey. So whenever I'm doing something, hey, sit down. No, get over here. <laughs> sit, here. sit. Come here. Sit down. Lay down. Lay down. <laughs> so yeah. So Jason Costa. Jason Costa. Um, he's a you know a, an incredible, incredible drummer, and he was the dude that was like, all right, I really want to do this. And then the lineup stayed the same for almost ten years uh, till Jeannie got married, and she was like, hey, oh, I'm gonna spend time at home, and then we got Aaron, and you know. The lineup's been essentially the same. Yeah, because Aaron was your guys' tour manager first. He was a tour manager. That's when we first couple. met him. Yeah, yeah. He we'd known him from playing in bands. Like he was in Devil Driver for a while, and he played in Bury Your Dead and stuff. So we knew him from being around. And uh, he was doing tour managing, and he tour managed us for a little while. And Jeannie was like, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm married now, and I kind of want to hang out with my husband." And blah blah blah. So we're like, "Okay, you know, we we get it. That's." You know, no hard feelings. It's cool. I, we understand. So it was just like, literally, <laughs> Jeannie texted me and said, can I get on the phone with you? And I was like, okay. That's weird. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's weird. Yeah, after 15 years of, of being in a band with somebody and it's, hey, can we talk? Like, yeah. what? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? So I text Mike and I, Mike Martin. I was like, yo, I think Jeannie's going to quit. If she quits, I'm going to give Bubble the job. And he's like, cool. I'm like, sick. So I texted Aaron. I was like, yo, you want, if, uh, I was like, you want the job? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I called Jeannie and Jeannie's like, yeah, uh, I can't really do this anymore. And I was like, no hard feelings. Cool. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then I was like, yeah, I just texted Aaron, called Aaron. I was like, yeah, you got the job. You're in. And he's like, yes. So <laughs> it was literally the same, like within an hour we had, you know, we had Aaron in the band. That's so. crazy. 
So yeah, let's kind of go back to the genre push. Like what was music doing when you started writing The Fall of Ideals? Because this is when, this is the first time radio started putting on heavy stuff. Heavy metal yeah. with Scream. Like yeah. before that, radio didn't play it. No, it I didn't mean, touch it. maybe a little corn, maybe. Yeah. Like, like, but it wasn't. I wouldn't call corn in those in inside that that genre. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I felt like when we did the Fall of Ideals and that record came out, and we had singing and screaming, and it was cool. And but metalcore kind of had peaked. We, I feel like we were like the last metalcore band to kind of like slide in before the buzzer, like and actually get some cred and get people's attention before people were like kind of over that metal core sound, that kind of, you know, screaming verse, singing chorus, blah, blah, blah. So when we did the, the Overcome record, we were like, we got to do something to break out of the metal core genre, like something that's going to break us out. And so we, you know, we did, you know, we did a couple songs on Overcome that were all singing with screams in the background, but they were mostly singing. And so when we did that, we put out two weeks and that song really, really hit. Um, it's hard for a radio station to say we're going to play a new band stuff because especially when you're dealing with a band that has a record that has two songs that they would actually play and the rest of it is just too heavy for them. Yeah. Because they're they're like, we, we want to make sure that if we're going to put this song on our airwaves, when they put out another record, they're going to have songs that are going to be that we'll play. And when they come to town, we'll be the radio station that they'll come to talk to and blah, 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 because they want to build a relationship. And I get it because they're really limited on how much, you know, how much time they've got because really a radio station exists to play commercials. Yeah, and radio stations generally now, you know, are running the festivals in local places and stuff like that. Just with all my dealings with uh, KLAQ out in uh, El Paso, because you guys actually had a relationship with them as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you, I mean, you're you're fully aware. Uh, it's it's a risk for them, and there were enough radio stations that took a risk on two weeks, and two weeks just stayed in the. It never made like it never got really high in the charts. It made top ten, I think, but it. I don't. It, ne- it never made top five, and it just stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed because people would call and request it, call and request it, and be like, "Yo, I dig this song. Yo, I did this, dig this song." So. It never got that big first couple of week push that a, like, you know, a Disturbed or a Slipknot does, but people love the song and it hit with people. So it never went away. It was on the charts for, I, I want to say it was on the charts for almost a whole year. And that's, that's unheard of for a band. So it, it was, it was a, a big, big song for us. And that was like where, that was the time where we were like, this might be able to, like, this might work for us. We might be able to be the, the metal band really can stay on Because what the did radio. the other, so when you, yeah, when that was happening, what were the phone calls you were getting from the other guys, like from Killswitch and everybody else? Like, hey, what the fuck? How did you pull this off? It was, it was, there wasn't a lot of people that were like calling, asking us, but we heard stories about people going to producers and saying, yo, we want to do what All That Remains did. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to name any <laughs> names. I'm not going to name any names. Um, we need one of those. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I'm not going to name any names, but there's bands that people know that were like, yo, uh, we want to do this and how, how do we do that and blah, blah, blah. And to some degree, some have had success and some have not, you know. Um, but, you know, for us, it was, it was just like 
we always tried to just write good songs, whether we were screaming or whether they were singing or whatever. It's all about, you know, we were, me and Matt were talking about it last night. It's if you've got that hook and that, that connection with people and you've got a story that people can relate to, that's what it takes to write a good song. And yeah. I think there are too many people that think about their guitar solos or think about writing, you know, making sure that they have the drum parts that are the thing. And, and for the most part, it's like that stuff's got to be there and it's got to be cool. But that's not why people come invoke back a to feelings. Songs. Exactly. You invoke a feeling, you'll keep it. Yeah. Now, so as you guys are in the like rut of two weeks just being hammered on the radio, how does this change your touring like your lineup, where you're at when you play a festival, like does, did you, was there, was there this point where all of a sudden you just moved three, le you know, steps no, up? For us, it was a slog. It was, it was just keep working and keep working and keep working. Like we didn't start getting like the good slots probably until, I mean, for Weird Many was out, I think. And we had like the last time it had made top 10 and, and uh, hold on and made top 10. And then our first top five was the waiting one. And that was kind of like when we started to get like later on in the, in the, in the festival slots, like KUPD has had shows. And like we, first time we played, obviously it's sunny. And then I think the first time we ever played a festival at night when the sun was down was at KUPD. And that was in like <laughs> 2000, 2011. And, and, uh, and that was crazy. I was like, we're actually playing a big festival with like 10,000 people and it's nighttime. Yeah. Was that a big, was that a it big was moment huge. where it you're looking, huge. you guys are all looking at each other like we are playing at night. I'm like, we are playing at night. I'm like, the lights are on and like the sun, <laughs> you can see the lights because the sun's gone down. It was, it was surreal, you know, and it, and it was a, it was a, a big deal, really, really big deal for us. And, and uh, so I, it's one of those things that's hard to describe to, to, to someone that hasn't, you know, hasn't lived through it. Cause those to, to your average concert goer, they, they might not get that the daytime bands are not the big bands. You know, it's like, they, they'll know that like the headliner is, yeah. but you know, otherwise it's like, okay, well I listen to these guys and I listen to these guys and I like them both. And it doesn't matter to me if the sun's up or if the sun's down, yeah. I'm going to be at the show and I want to hear the bands, you know? Yeah. So. Because you're, you're very, when you, when you, yourself go to a festival, you're through a soda straw. Yeah. You look at this list and you're, I got to be here at this time. I got to be here at this time. I got to be here at this time. So you're not paying attention to like what you're saying of, whoa, we're, we're on the big stage Yeah, totally. and it's nighttime. Oh, yeah, totally. It, and it, it is a thing. It definitely is a thing. You know? uh, so then Order of Things comes out and is that the one that just pops? No, the, the one that popped was, uh, was uh, a war you cannot win with what if I was nothing. Oh, wow. that was in 2012. And that was, that was our first ballad, like real ballad. Yeah. Um, arguably the waiting one is kind of a ballad, but that was really, really dark and, and moody sounding. What if I was nothing was very much us trying to do an 80s style rock ballad. And the, the, I think the story in the song, like the lyrics just really connected with people because people could still come up to me and they're like, you know, this song, man, this song is, is the one, this is, this is the, you know, me and my wife danced to this at our wedding, our first dance, you know, it's like, and I'm like, man, that is really something, you know, <laughs> makes me feel good. It does. It sure does. So, um, you know, to be, to be able to be in a band that got our start with all screaming stuff and then write a song like what if I was nothing and, and have, have 
so many people be able to relate to it is uh, it's a big deal. And so once that one came out on that record, we had Stand Up, which was our first number one song. And so what if I was nothing, never made number one, but it was a number two. It, it, again, and that was another one that like, it was number two for a long time, yeah. you know? So, um, then was, how does touring change now? Then it was, you know, we're playing to, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand people as a headliner. And, and if you can bring in, you know, if a radio show is happening and they promote it and yet, and you've got, you know, 2000 people at a show, 2,500 people at a show, that's really cool. You know? Um, I mean, the one that we were, that we did in El Paso and jumped on stage with you guys was easily five to seven. Yeah. You know, like, it that was, was a good crowd. It was a great show, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and you so, guys were it. We were, yeah. Again, <laughs> nighttime, you know, dark yeah, out. Dark and out. Playing, everybody's you know? there. <laughs> so, you know, and then, and so that's when you're like, this is really a thing now. You know, it's, it's not just, um, you, you go know, from van to, 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 you know, RV to bus. Yeah. The, the bus, <laughs> the bus is, is life changing for so sure. How about this? Like, is there, cause you know, like the band circuit's small, you yeah. guys, you guys all bump into each other all day long. Mm. So like, which are the ones that you end up running into five, six, seven years down the road when you're now the, the, the headliner and they're like, Oh, Hey, haven't seen you in a while. You I'm, guys have been doing good. Yeah. I mean, that <laughs> happens, you know, but you know, you, you try, you try not to let it become too much of a thing, you know? Oh man, I'm going to, we hold this cause I can let her out. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> All right. So, so you have a number one and a number two mm -hmm. and what's this touring like? It's uh, I mean, it was crazy, you know, like, it was, it was really, really, really busy. You know, we're, we're doing, you know, we were probably on tour seven months out of the year. Um, and cause this is right around like 14, 15, right? Like thir 12, uh, 13, 14. Yeah. 13, 14, Four, boom. 14, 15, 15 and 16 is it kind of chilled out. Um, once you get to a point where you're a headliner, um, it becomes harder to find support tours so you go out. You and just do, do one big one. Well, you'll do you know you'll do two maybe. Mm -hmm. You know you'll do like a, a a major market tour through your New York, Chicago, L.A. big cities, and then you'll do like a B market tour. Um, and you know, other than that, you don't want to go and do the same cities over and over no. and over. You can only do you know. I don't I don't want to go to to you know New York more than once a year. You know, New York City. I don't want yeah. to go to LA more than once a year. I don't want to go to San Francisco more than once a year, you know? Um, so once once you kind of reach that point, then it becomes where you're you're trying to find support slots for, you know, bands that are bigger than you, which is, but for us, it was like, it's it's like you're looking for bands that are playing in sheds, you know, which are playing in, by sheds, I mean like amphitheaters or yeah. you know, stuff. So like- Big, big. Yeah, 10,000 seats. 10 to 25. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and there's not a lot of bands out there that are doing that on their own. You got Shinedown. You no, got that, Bright, that's that like that mid upper tier. Yeah. That's before you go stadium. Yeah. Like where you're filling an ATM. And, and, even, and even with it, with stadium, there's like, I mean, who's, what metal bands are going to be doing stadiums? Five Finger Death Punch. And that's about it. Five Finger wouldn't even, they'll, they'll do, even sheds. Five Finger will do sheds. Yeah. No, so they'll do between, 10, when I, when I went and filled, filled in for them, they were doing arenas. So, but they were doing, you know, 10 to 15,000, you know? Oh, that's what, right. You had to sing for them. I did. How long did you have to do that for? We, I did two weeks with those guys. And how did you, 
how did you train up for this? Like you're, I didn't. Does, does, he, does Zoltan <laughs> just call? Hey, I need you to come sing. I fell asleep, and I fell asleep really early. It was like seven o'clock, and I fell asleep. And then I woke up in the middle of the night, and I look at my phone. And at the time, we had the same management. And there's a, a couple phone calls from my my manager, and a couple messages from a couple phone calls from Zoltan. And I'm like, I know what this means. And so I'm like, so I get on the horn and I'm like, what's going on? And Zoltan goes, so hypothetically, could you come and sing? You know, if I, could you get on a plane uh, tomorrow if you had to? And I was like, send me a set list right now. Like right now, I need to start getting ready. And he sent it. And the next day I got on a plane and I went to Philly and there was, it was a day off for them. So I flew to Philly, met up with them. And then the next night I played a show. Did with you it. practice? I, well, I mean, practice as in like... Like when you met up with them, did you guys get on stage and... We did a sound check. Do a run through. We did a sound check, not a whole set. How just, did you memorize their set in 24 hours? They had they had uh, um, teleprompters. Oh, no, really? And But I mean, teleprompters will give you the lyrics, but you kind of have to know how the melody goes and stuff. So I just crammed. And I mean, I'd already done... I'd done you that just... Yeah, I just put the listens and listened and, and listened just over and lined over. it up in in order of what they're playing yep. it and just ran through the whole thing until yep. it became muscle memory. Yep. And, and did you have any problems at all? Like your first show? Did you? The first show, I felt like I was standing on a beach ball. You know, like yeah. balance it, like everything. And you're just like, nervous as shit. Like, yeah, I don't know the because you know well the fans and do, <clears throat> and they're gonna be like, <laughs> yeah. But the, the one thing that I have to say about Five Finger fans, they were phenomenal. I did the same thing for Kill Switch Engage before. In like 2010, they called me up and they were like, can you come fill in? And I did a whole tour with them. Kill Switch's fans were not nearly as welcoming as the Five Finger fans. They were like, uh, what is this? They were like, mm. you know, there's a lot of like, mm. you know, dirty faces. And but Five Finger, they, the five they finger were like, fans, hey, they we're getting a show. Yeah, they were We like, didn't have to get refunded. They were like, thank you for coming to Thank you for coming and, and helping out Ivan. Because that, that, and that was really the way that people looked at it. They were like, you came and you helped out Ivan and you helped us out and you helped out Five Finger and we love you for that. And it was, it was, it was so cool. And they were so, the fans were so welcoming and so supportive. Um, it was. Oh yeah. Cause you got to do all the meet and greets and the VIP because I did that stuff, you know, yeah. five finger so, does the, the, all those packages and everything. So yeah, you interacted with them and got to hear yeah. this from them. I'm and sure. people were, people were phenomenal. They were absolutely wonderful. They were, they made me feel so good and so yeah. welcome. And then by the end of it, you had it and you were just like, let's go. It like you're me, having fun. I had two shows were kind of, eh. and then, uh, you know, the, the, the rest of the shows that we did, I was like, I got this. Let's go. And what did Zoltan think? Zoltan loved it. I mean, there was some time, like they recorded all the shows, right? So they, they had Pro Tools rig and they were recording everything. And there were times when um, they would listen to it, listen back and, and I would hear them talking. And they'd be like, you know, because I mean, I've, I can, I, I have, I can imitate Ivan's voice pretty well, you know? And, and, uh, and so it was, you know, very flattering. You know, um, <laughs> made me feel good. That's Again, pretty you cool. Know, yeah, you so. hear something like that, like I would feel pretty good. Like, yeah, I, don't, I can't tell. <laughs> I mean, Ivan, because Ivan's one of the best out there. So to be, to be, to, to for them to say that, it was a huge compliment. And so I, I was like, I was like, I appreciate you know that you guys called me and thank you so much. And they were like, dude, thank you because like you know you saved the tour and da 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 da. And and it it goes so far beyond just you know just the band. And and as much as I appreciate the fans and stuff, it even goes beyond the fans because that tour had, you know, there must have been a hundred people 
on uh, that were crew members between Five Fingers, Shine Down, and, and and the other bands. And so it was right before Christmas, and they expected to have an additional two weeks of pay. And if 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 they couldn't find someone to do it, to, all those people and would refund. Look, yeah, everyone. Yeah, and That's all those people waste, would, yeah. they'd have lost they'd have lost work. Like they planned on having X amount of weeks of work and it's right before Christmas. It's like, so I could go out there and not just make sure that the fans could see the show and make sure that the, the bands could play the shows, but make sure that all those people that were working, that were, were relying on that paycheck, that don't go home and get publishing checks every couple months and, and get, you know, have, yeah. have all the other ways of making money that bands do. All those people that just get paid for the hours that they're there. I, I got to make sure that they got paid. And so that was, that was like the icing on the cake is like, I know that I was able to help a lot of people make sure that their bank accounts weren't, you know, messed up because, you know, right before Christmas because of this. So, And it's kind of cool. It's, I mean, yeah, even, cool. even, as a diehard Five Finger Death Punch fan or any band of that nature, to see someone else from another band yeah. that I like to go out and do their show, that's almost like a treat. It makes it special, yeah. <laughs> you know, because to be fair, most most of the time, if you're you're going to see a Five Finger Death Punch or whatever, most of the fans have seen them once before. You know, they've been around a while, so people have seen them, and they're like, "So I've I, you know I saw them before with I and blah blah." It's blah. like. Hmm. Well, let's see how this goes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, actually, sounds pretty good. Okay, yeah. I'm a fan. So it was, it was great, you know. And and so for fans, it's kind of like a special treat. And and the fact that I was fortunate enough to to be that guy they called, you know, I I really appreciated the, the I, I appreciated that they trusted me yeah, to that do is, the job. I mean, and you were the one they called. Yeah, that's cool. Like it's cool. Oh, we need a singer on the fly, and then you delivered, and yeah. you know. That's that's a reputation builder there. Yeah, you know, you never know when you'll get another call. Uh, you know, I didn't think that it would happen. I never when after I did the the job for Killswitch, and they mm -hmm. again called me in the middle of the night, and they're like, "Can you get on a plane in the morning?" And <laughs> after I did that, I didn't expect to ever do that again. And now now people are like, "Oh, who's gonna call Phil next?" Twenty twenty two, Garth Brooks goes down. You're in, <laughs> Garth. I got this one. I got it. Give me your call, man. Ladies and gentlemen, we're still holding the Garth Brooks concert, but Phil Labonte will be stepping in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know some Garth songs, and I like Garth Brooks. Oh man! So what's now? What now? What 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 can fans expect? What can we what can we see? In, this year is the fifteenth yeah. anniversary of the Fall of Ideals, so we've got some stuff planned for that. Um, there's going to be another All That Remains record. Um, I was thinking that it was going to come out this year. Uh, I'm not sure that that will happen because of because of some stuff that the label is doing. Excuse me, uh, because of some stuff that the label is doing and because of the anniversary, so that it might be next year. COVID threw things into flux is probably a, yeah. a, a good way to say it. So um, we have some shows booked this summer. So hopefully, uh, you know, they don't get canceled. We'll I hope see. it's not hard for you guys because like you touched on about you filling in right before Christmas, the hardest group that has been hit are the crews that support all these yeah. tours because yeah. they've just got nothing. Yep. Yeah, there there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, um, like fundraisers and stuff like that that were happening last year, um, but like a, like a lot of things, you know, it's like for the first six months or so, it's like people are paying attention, and then you know it kind of wanes off, and and you know people kind of forget about the fact that there's still a lot of people out of work, and and there's a lot of people struggling still, and so. Um, I expect that there are going to be 
people that are going to be hungry to get back out on the road. Um, but I also anticipate that there's going to be a lot of people that are like, I don't know that I want to take that chance again. I got, you know, I found this job that's been holding me over. I don't want to go ahead and. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I'm, you know, I'm wondering how difficult it's going to be to get production crew and everything back. Yeah. Because these guys all had to go find new careers and they yeah. could be a year into them right now. And like, yeah. eh, you know what? Maybe I don't want to travel anymore and this pays better. Maybe there's a kid on the way now and it's like, I don't want to go because my wife's going to, you know, my yeah. wife's going to have a kid. And so, I mean, there's, there's, there's a ton of that. And, and that's something that, that has definitely crossed our minds. It's just a matter of, I mean, so, I, I have faith that we'll be able to find some people to do it. It might take a little bit of extra training, <laughs> a little bit of extra, you know, finessing them into the uh, the shape that we're looking for, you know. But uh, I think we, I think we'll be able. So to some do anniversary it. stuff, a new record, and then you're live every week. Every what days are you live, and where Monday, are you live? Monday, Tuesday, at? Thursday, and Friday, I stream on Twitch. It's uh, Twitch.tv/slash Phil That Remains. Um, I'm Phil That Remains everywhere on the internet, except so, Instagram. Well, not Instagram, not Facebook, because uh, Instagram, I don't have those. They, Instagram they uh, took you off. Yeah, but it, but if they're like Twitter, I'm on. I used to be on Parler, but then they got rid of Parler. Uh, but if there's if there's a social media platform that I am on, <laughs> it is Phil That Remains. So if you go to whatever social media platform you want to take a search on or, or take a look, search Phil That Remains. If if I'm on there, it'll be under Phil That Remains. So. Uh, and yeah, this Twitch stuff, you're, what are you doing on Twitch? Are you playing games? I sing all or, the remains. You're singing. Songs. Yeah. I got, I got a slick Pro Tools rig. I mean, I've even got it trans, I've got it set up here in Florida, I mean, in, in uh, Texas. So it's, it's not, uh, it's not like I had to leave stuff at home in New Hampshire or whatever. When I moved down here, I brought everything with me. Uh, so it's, it's still a little wonky because it has got to fit under one small desk because I'm waiting for furniture to be delivered to the new place. Um, but it, it works and I'm able to, to sing and I will be playing video games again soon. Hopefully I can get the, uh, the Xbox set up and, and we'll do some, do some Call of Duty. Yes, and, or some Tony Hawk. You can come to my place for Tony Hawk. I would be sick. Yeah. I love it. I have it. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want an interactive concert with Phil himself, just tune in to his Twitch. What, Monday? What? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. 8 p.m. Eastern time. 8 p.m. Eastern. Seven also, here. if you like this shirt, it is new. It's on blackriflecoffee.com right now. Go check it out. Phil, thanks for stopping by. This was amazing. I love it. We'll do another episode uh, again and talk more more music, more, more rock. All right. <laughs>